Hey everyone, welcome to the Naz Church Weekly Message Podcast. Here you will listen to the preaching pastor from the Naz in Grove City, Ohio. We pray you are inspired by their teachings. So if you have your Bibles with you, I'd like for you to take them real quick and turn to Revelation chapter 2, the book of Revelation chapter 2. We're going to walk through Revelation 2 and 3. I'll give you some synopsis of some things that have happened over the last seven weeks. We've been in these two chapters going over each of the letters to the seven churches uh, that Jesus speaks to them. Jesus speaks to each of these seven churches. We've walked through those. Today, we're going to kind of wrap them up. So if you haven't been here the last seven weeks, that's okay. Because uh, I'm going to give you a real quick synopsis, a rundown of what went on in those churches. We're going to talk about the, the seven deadly spirits uh, that Christ kind of speaks to when he writes to the angels at those churches and says, here's what I want you to say to the churches. He tells them things that aren't going well, but then tells them things that they need to do and what he will do if they repent and turn and begin to do the things that he's told them to do. These seven churches are all in Asia Minor, what we call Turkey today. All these seven churches were right in that area. So I've had some people ask, why are we hearing about these seven churches? If God was speaking to them, why are we still hearing about it? And it's because those, those seven messages were towards them particularly, but the things that he spoke about still happen today. There's still things that we need to watch out for as a church. There are still things that we need to be prepared to face, things that we need to be able to shift our lives to be prepared for what God has for us and what he wants us to do. So at the end of each of these seven letters um, to the seven churches, Jesus says this, let the one who has ears to hear, let them listen to what the spirit is saying to the churches. So I have my ears to hear with me today and I'm not really gonna wear these. That was just for that. Um, That's all I'm doing with that. Have you ever been around when you were younger? I'm sure your parents had some form of saying something like this. Did you hear me? Are you listening to me? I swear, whatever I say to you goes one in ear, in one ear and out the other, right? Are you paying attention? Listen up. I mean, turn to somebody next to you and tell them what your parents used to say to you that drove you up the wall. What was it that your parents used to say to you? I'll tell you what I say to my kids that bugs them up the wall, drives them up the wall. What I will say to my kids is if I've told them to do something two or three times and they haven't done it, I'll finally look at them and say, we are not that poor. And they're going, what do you mean we're not that poor? You are not so poor that you can't pay attention. Listen to what I'm saying, right? Listen to what I'm saying to you. I know it's a dad joke, but they get ticked, but then they actually listen um, because they've had to stop. Listen to me. Are you listening to what I'm saying? Okay, so it's one thing to hear what's going on. It's another thing to listen. So those of you that have ears to hear, listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. It's a way of saying, hey, this is important. You don't need to just hear it. You need to begin to put it into practice. Um, When Melissa and I were dating, I made the mistake of letting her read through some of my personality profiles. And as we were trying to figure out if we were compatible and stuff. And as she's reading through, there was one place that she came and it says that Dale is a person who likes order. He likes things to be in place. He likes to be, things to be kept in order and everything good. If you looked at my office, you wouldn't believe that, but that's what it says. Dale likes, Dale likes order. He likes structure. He likes everything together. She goes, oh, we are going to get along well. But then it added this word. However, 
<laughs> However, um, Dale can thrive in the midst of chaos. Things can be going on around him and he's able to tune those things out and still function. And I think that's a good attribute to have. And she goes, no, no, it's not because we will not have chaos. I'm going, but if we do, it's okay. She's going, no, it's not okay. You have to make it not okay, right? So what is happening here as we're listening is sometimes there can be chaos in the world. There's things going on all around us. And sometimes we tune out the things that we should be listening to and we're paying attention to things that we should not be listening to. What Jesus is saying to the churches, each of these seven churches, there is something important that they need to hear. They need to listen. And so at the end of each of the letters, he says, let him who has ears to hear, listen to what the Spirit is saying into the churches. You don't wanna be uh, like me. When I lived with my brother and sister-in-law, or my brother-in-law and sister, my, my brother-in-law, he is somebody that likes things in order. He's a great guy. Um, I love him to death. I wish I were more like him in many ways. And uh, when I lived with them for a little while, and we had three kids running around, um, as long as there was not screams of death or something really bad happening, if they were fighting, it's like they're kids, that's what kids do. Um, but we were living with my sister and brother-in-law. And so my wife would come up and say, hey, um, can you hear that? And go, oh, well, now that you mention it, I guess, yeah, I'm hearing something. Then the next question was, so what are you gonna do about it? I don't know, but I guess I will now do something. <laughs> They're not killing each other, everything's okay, right? No, it's not okay. It's too much noise, it's too much stuff, we need to take care of this. Jesus is saying to us, there's some things that we need to address. There's some things that we need to take care of. So I'm gonna walk down, if you've got your Bibles, I'll walk real quickly through Revelation chapter two and three in these seven churches and what the deadly spirits that were in each of these deadly churches. So church number one, is the church at Ephesus. If you recall, in the church at Ephesus, they had the spirit of boundary keeping. They made sure that people followed the rules. In fact, Jesus commends them for it and says it is a very good thing that they didn't allow false teachings to come in. It's good that they made sure that things were lined up. But, he says, you've forgotten the love that you had at first. Sometimes we can get so caught up in keeping the rules and doing everything right that we forget that the number one rule Christ gave us was to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and our neighbor as ourself. That's what he desires of us. The rules and things that we have are meant to help give us structure for how we love. I think Pastor David said it this way, marriage doesn't exist for rules. A lot of times we have rules and things in our lives and in our marriage to give us a framework for how we love each other, okay? So we need to be careful about boundary keeping. The people that we wanna be around, we don't wanna be around. I don't wanna be around people that are boundary keepers. That's all they do. Smyrna is the spirit of consumerism. Uh, this sense of, in Smyrna, uh, for them, they had gotten where they worshiped whatever was gonna help them out the most. So if that meant if I worship this God, I can get what I want, then I'm gonna worship that God. Uh, Yahweh, Jesus, they're a good God. He saves me from my sins, but he's not very good at making me money. So I'm gonna go make these sacrifices so that I can get what I need. So it was more about what, what can I do? What can I get? We, we become that way in church at times. We can come to church because of what I get out of it. And it's not that we don't want you to get something out of it, but 
the church doesn't exist just to pander to all your needs. Uh, other people don't exist just to pander to all your needs. Okay, we're not about just what we can buy and what we can get and what we need, right? What I want. Sometimes we make God a great cosmic Santa Claus and my prayer life becomes more of just telling God what it is that I need that he can give me. Jesus is saying, this is not to be. This is not the way you're supposed to live. Pergamum is the spirit of accommodation. Sometimes we as a church, and the church in Pergamum was this way, they had gotten to where they were in the middle of the world. Jesus tells us that we should be in the world, but not of the world. They had been in the world and they had become of the world. The things that they had just kind of made room for had begun to shape who they were and what they were doing. Uh, my kids are sick and tired of hearing me. I sent them a few different um, Instagram posts or Facebook things this week uh, where I don't know why it's popping back through my feeds again, but it was different leadership people saying, um, the most important thing in the life of your kids and in your own life is the people you hang around with. You will tend to financially be most like the five people you hang around the most. You will intellectually tend to be more like the five people you hang around the most. You will socially and morally tend to be like the five people you hang around the most. So who are the people that you're hanging around? The people that you're hanging around, they're shaping the person that you are. Some of you are looking at your spouse going, you need to change friends, right? <laughs> Think about it. What Jesus is saying is we become like the people that are around us. As much as we can watch TV shows and say, well, I know that's wrong. I'm not gonna do that. We still tend to slide that direction. We'll talk a little bit about that a little bit more in just a moment. In Thyatira, the problem was privatized faith. Um, I believe God. He's gonna change my life. It's gonna be different. And that's my spiritual life. But... My work life is different and my home life is different. We tend to compartmentalize our lives. Uh, we privatize our faith into this one area and it doesn't affect the other areas of my life. For instance, when politicians run for office and they say, I don't let my faith shape my policy. Well, then I don't want you leading. I should want your faith to shape your policy because other people who are being elected, they're letting their faith or their lack of faith or what they believe shape what they're doing. It should shape our lives. So I don't wanna just have this private faith where I do my own thing and you don't speak into it because it's just about me and Jesus. We got this good thing going and it has nothing to do with y'all. So just leave me alone and I'll keep it private. Jesus says, that's not the way we're supposed to live. That's not what's supposed to be going on. We have to be careful that what we will do is begin to turn and follow Christ and understand he's given us a body of believers. He's given us to one another and that we walk this faith out in community. The next thing, Sardis, the spirit of apathy. Uh, this is the sense of, you know, I keep hearing all this stuff's gonna go on, but it's never really happening, so whatever. Whenever it happens, it's gonna happen or whatever happens, it's gonna happen. And we kind of just give up on the things that we're supposed to be ready for. Kind of like the boy who cried wolf, right? And the people just begin to go, okay, whatever, the boy's crying wolf, he's cried wolf before, it's not gonna happen. As Christians, we can say, yeah, Jesus is coming back and I should be living a really good life, but um, you know, they've been saying that for 2,000 years. He still hasn't come back yet. Um, Jesus tells us, Paul tells us, we should be watching for our enemy who goes about seeking people he can destroy. But in this passage, 
in the book of Revelation, Jesus says, beware, be watchful, be ready because I'm gonna come like a thief in the night and you don't know when. Kind of a scary sort of thing, but Jesus is saying, be ready. Don't be apathetic in your faith. Realize that what I have said is true. I will be faithful. I will carry out what I've said. Uh, the spirit of Philadelphia, the spirit of fear. There's this sense of, uh, especially during the pandemic, we spoke a lot about fear is not my future. I don't wanna be in fear. I don't wanna live in fear. I wanna live in faith. Last week, as Pastor Mark talked about, God says, I'm gonna open doors that no one can shut. I will shut doors that no one can open. But when I open the door, step through it in faith. Believing what I've told you, don't live in fear. Don't get caught. Don't get stuck. Listen to what it is that I'm saying to you. If you get stuck in fear, if you're not ready to walk through the things that I have for you, um, you're gonna be in trouble. The last one, Laodicea is the spirit of self-sufficiency. And Laodicea, the struggle was, I can do things on my own. Not only do I not need you, but I don't know that I need God. I've learned how to make a living for myself. I've learned how to do what I need with what I need for what I need for my family, for my own. I can take care of me. I don't need anybody else. And God says, contraire, mon frere. Some of y'all got this. Okay, good. Some of you got my Bart Simpson. Um, contrary, my friends, this is not the way life was meant to be. God has called us to community. God has called us not to live on our own. God has called us to himself. Everything I have, every gift that I have, everything that I can do is because God gave it to me. I am not self-sufficient. I need to rely on him. So let me read to you again about listening. Are y'all listening? Can you hear me? Are you listening to what I'm saying? Look at me when I'm talking to you. Okay. Matthew 7, 24 to 27 says, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise. Like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it's built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish. Like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and floods come, and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. What Jesus is saying to the church when he says, listen to me, if you have ears to hear, listen. He's not just saying, listen. He's saying, do what I've told you. Uh, my father, if he ever said to me, did you hear me? The answer was always no. The reason is, if I said, yes, I heard you, I was in big trouble because that means I heard what he said and I didn't do it. So if I heard, did you hear me? No, what did you say? <laughs> and that let me know I better do it this time or I was in big trouble, right? What Jesus is saying is listen. Okay, what I'm saying to you is not just about, oh, hey, I want you to kind of wake up. He's speaking about repentance. In each of these letters, he'll say, turn from what it is that you're doing. You need to repent. So let me talk about, some of you have seen me do this analogy a lot, but it's like I'm, if God is over here and I'm walking away from God, I may not be literally saying, I don't wanna follow you, God, but it may be that I've drifted because the spirit of accommodation has kind of come in and I've begun to do the things of the world or I've begun to think, wow, you know, I'm doing pretty good. I think I can do this thing on my own. It may be because I've begun to do things and thought, you know what, I don't need everybody else around me. Um, I don't need a community of faith. I've got my things going on. It may be because 
I've begun to get my eyes off God and look at stuff that I want or things that I need uh, and become more consumeristic, any of these things. It could be little, small things. It doesn't mean I've just said, oh, I'm not gonna follow God. I could just be floating away. Uh, D.A. Carson, uh, in one of his commentaries, writes down that people on our own don't tend to float toward holiness. We don't tend to just float toward becoming like God. It's not like I wake up one morning and go, wow, you know what? All of a sudden, I'm exactly like Jesus. I don't know how this happened. Now, I know some of you wives believe that you've done this, but you haven't. Some of you husbands think, I've got this down. You don't. Okay, you don't just float toward all of a sudden you wake up and, well, I'm, I'm perfect. Things are great. It doesn't happen. It takes work. If we float, we tend to float this direction, away from God. Repentance is saying, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm gonna stop doing what I'm doing, but that's not all it is. Very often, what many of us do is we realize I'm doing something wrong and our focus becomes, I'm gonna stop doing what is wrong. But if I just stop doing what is wrong, which way am I still facing? (laughs) Still facing the stuff and it's still tempting me and it's still drawing me. What repentance says and what Jesus is saying to the church is turn. You need to turn and come back to what I am telling you, to becoming like me. So if I'm gonna turn, what I want to do is take those things that I have been doing and replace them with something that is better. So for instance, if I've got a pitcher and I keep pouring dirty, or a cup and I keep pouring dirty water from a pitcher into it, uh, it's not enough to just go, okay, I'm gonna stop pouring from the dirty pitcher. Because the more I look at the glass, what's happened to the glass? It's still dirty, still got dirty water in it. The only way that that can change is if this dirty water is displaced by something else and I pick up a clean pitcher and start to pour and I begin to change and I begin to be transformed. What Christ is saying in repentance when we need to turn is we need to stop doing the things that we're doing, turn back toward him and begin the practices that shape me, that transform me, that make me more like him. Are you listening to me? Look at me when I'm talking to you. You hear what I'm saying? This is what Jesus is saying, I've got to turn. So let's go back through these seven letters again real quick. And I want to tell you what the, sort of the antidote, what Christ wants to give us in place of the things that we were doing that are wrong, those spirits, those seven deadly spirits that were in these churches in the book of Revelation, what are the things that are the life-giving spirits? What are the things that are the antidote to those deadly spirits? Because I need to not just quit doing the things I was doing, but I need to replace those things with godly things that bring me towards Christ. So in the spirit of boundary keeping, the thing that begins to keep me from being such a boundary keeper is mercy. I need to begin practice the, begin practicing mercy with others. So let me explain it to you this way. Um, I had somebody do something to me once, it was really bad. I was really ticked at them. And so as I read the Bible, I understood um, that we're supposed to pray for them. And I also realized that the Bible says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay. So it's not my job to exact vengeance on them. Can you shake your heads if you agree with that? It's not my job to exact vengeance, it's God's job 
to exact vengeance. And God asks me to pray for them. So I began to pray, God, would you exact your vengeance upon them? Right? I mean, that's, the Psalms are written that way, right? If somebody's done something, maybe pray that God's going to take them out. And so I began praying that God would take them out. He wasn't taking them out and I was getting upset with God. And somebody gave me this book. So I read it. I'm reading this book. And in one of the parts of the book, it mentioned that scripture says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. But scripture also says, I am the Lord your God and I will show mercy upon whom I choose to show mercy. So not only is vengeance God's, but mercy is God's. And God began to say to me, what if I choose to show mercy to them? Is that okay? My answer was no. I'm praying for vengeance. You said vengeance, but also show mercy. Quite often we can get so caught up in keeping the rules and making sure we're keeping people in line that we forget the law of love. Jesus is asked, what's the greatest law? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, your neighbor as yourself. There is no greater than this. This is what God has called us to. Sometimes it's hard to love, but quite often that love can start with mercy. When I realize God says, not only that he wants to be merciful, but he wants us to be merciful. If he has shown us mercy, how do we begin to show mercy to others? It doesn't mean we start to disregard the rules. I'm not saying that. God's given us rules. He's given us things to follow. It doesn't mean the rules disappear, but also know we can be merciful as we're loving and we're working and we're talking with people. Does that make sense? So I move from boundary keeping toward mercy. How do I begin to substitute boundary keeping for mercy? The next one, Smyrna, consumerism. We replace consumerism with simplicity and generosity. Part of the rays that we, we get done and we complete our lives and we get rid of all of this desire to have is by learning to give. Um, there's a big move in our country now uh, at times. People realize they have way too much. So a move to have simplicity, a move to be a minimalist. Um, Melissa, my wife, is claiming that she is an aspiring minimalist. She won't claim to be a minimalist, but she aspires to be one. So we listen to people like Marie Kondo. You heard of Marie Kondo? You know what I'm talking about? Marie Kondo says um, that when you're beginning to get things, take go through your closet. You've got clothes that you don't need, clothes that you don't wear. Begin to take the clothes out of your closet and only keep those things that bring you joy. Go through your boxes of stuff you have at home. Only keep those things that bring you joy. I'm looking at some of you, some of y'all are looking at each other. You're thinking about your garage, aren't you? I don't know, what are the attic? What are we gonna do with all this stuff? So Melissa and I have been married now for a year and a half and our garage is still full of stuff. Um, Melissa downsized when she moved from, from Kentucky to another smaller house and then when she moved up here. And so um, I'm talking about her, by the way, today because she's in Spain, <laughs> so she's not here. Um, don't tell her what I'm saying. Um, so we're going through our garage and as we go through the garage, we will open up boxes and pull things out. And so we're pulling out this stuff from elementary school and like, here's this letter. And I'm going, what, what do you need this for? It's a note on a page from, yes, this is from third grade. 
when I was going through a rough time and the teacher wrote this encouraging note. Every time I see this paper, it reminds me of her and it brings great joy to me. So we're keeping it. I'm going, take a stinking picture of it. It'll be in your phone forever. I want to feel it because it brings me joy. And so we have troubles getting rid of things, right? We want, we want, now I'm joking about stuff, but we all find ways of grabbing stuff and holding on to stuff and wanting to buy more stuff, wanting to make life better. How do we begin to get stuff out of the way so that I can live a simple life and not worry about all the stuff? How do I get rid of that? That's what Christ is asking of you, to replace consumerism with simplicity and generosity. In Pergamum, spirit of accommodation, um, becoming more and more like the world, I said we just float towards that kind of stuff unless we're reminded of the life of Christ. How are we reminded of the life of someone who, although he was God, left heaven, didn't consider equality with God something to be held onto or exploited, but he emptied himself, became a servant, sacrificed for you and me. We remember that every time we take communion, broken body and blood. Remember, Christ has called us to be sacrificial in our lives with one another so that it's not just about floating and becoming like the world. It's because we're a part of a different kingdom that looks like him, and we remind ourselves of who he is. As we do these things in community, our lives begin to shift and change. Uh, in Thyatira, privatized faith. Um, this is just about me, so don't tell me how to live my life. We overcome that through confession within a community of care. Um, this is a tough one for many of us. I'm um, a very private public figure. And what I mean by that is I'm up talking with tons of people, so I can't say I'm private. And sometimes I share with you all things where people go, man, I appreciate you sharing that. But there's other things in my life that I like to keep private. Uh, there are moments where people find out about if I've been to the doctor and something went on and later on sometimes I accidentally slip and they're going, you didn't tell us you went to the doctor. You didn't tell us you had those problems. I say, no, it's none of your business. Um, I want to be private. In our Christian life, we can be that way as well. Where we struggle with something, we figure that's, uh, this is, I've got my, my public life, I've got my work life, I've got my home life, I've got my, my private life, and my spiritual life, that's private. You have no business talking in that. Christ says, no, I've, I've died for you. I gave my life for you, you've been bought with a price, and I've given you to a community of faith. Within that community of faith, how do you share what's going on in your life? How do you encourage one another? How do you continue to grow if you're not sharing with one another? Is it tough? Yes. Most people like the word accountability. Accountability is good. We need accountability. I found people love accountability until they're held accountable. And then we say, who are you to tell me what to do? I'm sorry, I thought you told me you wanted accountability. You're not today, okay? Today is my cheat day, right? I don't want accountability today. But in our Christian walk, we need one another. I have, accountability, I have an accountability partner that I talk to, I've got a few other friends that I speak with. In fact, earlier this week, I was um, out, well, they were having coffee, I was drinking something else, uh, think of, uh, uh, you'll judge me if I tell you what I was drinking. Um, it was a steamed milk, because I don't like coffee. It was like a little kid drinking my milk with my friend. But anyway, as we're talking, uh, he began to ask me some questions, we're going through some stuff, and I shared a little something, and I got a little um, personal about something. 
Didn't mean to, but I did. So I quickly just kept moving. He let me finish my thoughts, got done with that. And um, he talked for a little bit. And he goes, hey, can I go back a second ago, a little while ago? I'm sure, what about? He goes, when you said blah, 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 he goes, did you kind of tear up a little bit? He's going, no, you teared up a little bit. Don't put that on me. He's going, no, you, I didn't really say it. I said, well, I don't know, maybe a little. I know, it was, but it was a long time ago. It's fine. He goes, eh, we're going to talk about that. Share with me. Talk to me a minute. I don't want to. He's going, I love you. You love me. We're going to talk about this? Okay. So we began to talk. That only happens when you're in community. Christ tells us to confess our sins one to another so that we can be healed. Paul tells us, confess our sins to one another so that we can be healed. There's something about publicly admitting something's not right. There's something about having someone in your life that's saying to you, yeah, you're not right, that's not right. What are we gonna do about it? How can I walk alongside you? How can I be there for you? Our faith is something that is extremely personal but it is not meant to be private. We say that every week. The only way you overcome this privatized faith thing is by being in public with one another, by sharing it with someone. Sardis, the spirit of apathy is only overcome by sacrifice. When you feel like stuff's just blah, I would ask you, this question, is there anything in your life that is worth dying for? Is there anything that you believe so strongly in that you would be willing to die for them? Do you be willing to die for that principle, for those things? If so, how are you living your life in such a way that it reflects that? If the God of the universe loved you enough to send his son to die for your sins, because he loves you that much. And he says, I'm gonna come again for you, but I'm also coming back for the world and I want as many people as possible to be a part of this. Can you be with me on this journey? Can you help me help others come to know this love? Are you willing to, many of the early Christians died because they believed that faith in God was so deep, was so strong, was so important. The book of Revelation is written in such a time where some groups of people were being persecuted. Sardis did not happen to be one of those groups. They felt like, oh, that's gonna pass us, we're good to go. We don't have to worry about it. And Jesus says, you do have to worry. I'm coming back again. I've called you to do something and I want you to do it. Because when I come, I'm gonna come like a thief in the night. You don't know when it's gonna be. I know it's been 2,000 years for us now, going, really? He said that 2,000 years ago. He said, soon. It's been a long time. He's going, wake up, be ready, I'm coming back. I'm coming for you because I love you. The only way we begin to understand that love, the only way we understand how to come overcome apathy, excuse me, is through our sacrifice, through laying down our lives for our friends, through understanding there is something way more to this life than just hanging on to life itself. Philadelphia, the spirit of fear. Uh, last week we talked about Pastor Mark talked about that door that was opening and closing. We live in fear very often because we've placed our eyes on the wrong thing. The only way we overcome fear is through communal prayer. 
through praying together, through hearing each other pray, through seeing what God has done. We talked early, earlier today, we sang about, do I believe in miracles? Why do I have trouble seeing God's miracles? Part of it is I'm not listening to the people around me who are experiencing miracles. I'm not praising and thanking God for the things that he's done. To be able to pray to one another, uh, some of y'all have heard me use the analogy of, of Peter walking on the water to Jesus. And when he took his eyes off Jesus and looked at his, his troubles, the wind and the waves, he sunk. But when he turned his eyes to Christ, he was able to get back up and walk on the water. You've heard me talk about, uh, some of you that are new have not heard this one, but the telescope and the microscope. Some of us with our, our troubles, our problems, how many of y'all feel like when you've got a problem, you put it under the microscope? And when you're looking at it, the problem just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Pete Grieg says that what we need to do as believers is to get our eyes out of the microscope and get our eyes in the telescope and look at the heavens. Look at God, get our eyes off of our problem and turn our eyes to God. The psalmist, many of the gospel writers, when they begin talking about and praising God and all the things that he has done, we see the vastness of the universe and all that he has made and Pete Grieg says, unless you're just a total narcissist, there's not anyone who ever looks up at the stars in the sky and goes, wow, I'm awesome. <laughs> you can't, you did not do that. The God of the universe did. So when you turn your eyes to God and you begin to thank him and praise him about what he has done and you see all of the things that he has overcome, you begin to understand how great our God is. Do you remember what I started talking to you about was your problem. It's not that your problem went away, but the more you begin to focus on God and who he is, your problem's still there. You just realize it's microscopic compared to the God you worship. We, as his people, need to get our eyes off of our fears and back onto the God who conquers all of those fears. That's how you overcome fear. Last but not least, Laodicea, the spirit of self-sufficiency. You, oh, this is a hard one. This is the least favorite, probably. You overcome the spirit of self-sufficiency through the spirits and disciplines of dependency. Realizing I depend on God more than other things. While Jesus was being tempted in the desert, uh, Satan comes to him and says, hey, here are these stones. Turn them to bread. And Jesus says, it's written, man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the Father. He'd fasted for 40 days. Could he have turned the stones to bread? He could have. But instead, he chose to say, you know what? During this time of my life, I'm trying to understand how much I need God. And so I'm gonna forsake food. As we start to do that and forsake food, we begin to wait upon God and what he wants. We begin to realize that I need to wait on him more than I need to trust my own understanding. I need to rely on God more than I need food. I take the time to understand that some of the things I think I need so badly, I don't need as badly as I think. That I don't have the resources within me, that he's the one who holds the resources. And when I remind myself of those things, my life is totally changed. So over the last seven weeks, we've gone over all these things where Jesus looked at the churches and said, stop. Stop doing the things that you're doing. But at the end, he turns and says, if you turn, if you repent, if you begin doing these things that I've just laid out for you that are sort of antidotes to those sin, 
He said, here's what's gonna happen in your life. Your name will be written in the book of life and never removed. You'll become pillars in the house of God. You will hold the seven stars. All the power that the Father has given me will be given to you. You begin to hear what's happening now, how their lives are totally changing and transforming. The same thing is true for you. But it takes not only stopping what we're doing, but turning back to God and doing what he's called us to do. So, James chapter one, verse nine, or verses 19 to 25 says this. Um, Understand, my dear brothers and sisters, you must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to be angry. Are you listening to me? Look at me when I'm talking to you. Okay. Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. So get rid of all the filth and the evil desires in your lives and humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts for it has the power to save your souls. But don't just listen to God's word. You must also do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and don't obey, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, you walk away, and then forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and you don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. I'm gonna ask you to stand with me if you would this morning. Christ talks to the seven churches. As soon as that's done, we hear about worship in heaven and what that's like. And then we have seven seals that begin to be broken. And at the seventh seal, there's 30 minutes of silence in heaven. I don't know why 30 minutes. There's 30 minutes of silence in heaven. Hopefully it's so people can stop and listen. To reflect. To take in all that they've heard. We're gonna take a few seconds here to stop and listen. And I want you to pray about what God would have you begin to change in your life. Which of these things need to shift in your life that you can begin to follow? And I don't mean just go home and clean your garage. What is it that God's asking of you to shift and to change? Scott Daniels in his book, The Seven Deadly Spirits says, full transformation takes place only as we learn to embody the practices of faith as a means of restorative and transforming grace. How do you and I begin to live this faith out? What has God spoken to you about? As we talked about these different sins over the last seven weeks, what is it that God is wanting to shift in your heart, in your life, in your mind? Would you bow your heads with me? Gracious Father, Holy Spirit, would you come? Speak to us even now. Let us hear what the Spirit is saying to our church, to our hearts, to our minds. God, transform us into your image. As we are listening, speak to us. Thanks for joining us for this week's podcast. Stay connected with us at thenaz.church.